Well, welcome, Graceway family, and anyone else who might be watching, you're always welcome. And um, I'm always very appreciative that you take time to uh, watch these videos. It does take time and prayer and thought to put these things together, and we do it as a resource for you. And I uh, pray that it is a blessing, and just want you to know that I appreciate you for taking time to tune into this. This is our midweek service. And we uh, want to encourage you to go to our website, gracewayokc.org, O-R-G. And um, as you do, go to the events tab. And underneath that, you can find the newsletter. And that'll keep you updated on uh, announcements and also uh, the prayer list. And that's probably the most important thing. Um, you can see statistics on giving and attendance those kind of things. And attendance is kind of difficult now because of the pandemic and all of those things that are going on. We've got people that are sick and people that are even uh, suffering with the COVID-19 virus right now. But again, as we try to emphasize, um, especially on Sundays, it's not the only thing people are going through. And it may not even be the worst thing that some people are going through. Most people are going to survive COVID, but they may not survive their uh, marital problems. And they may not survive the rebellion of their children or the heartache that they're going through. Uh, Maybe difficult to get through uh, job loss or financial difficulties or um, any of those kind of things. And so when the Bible talks about a church in Acts 2.42, it says that they continued steadfastly. I mean, could you not preach a whole sermon on that? Continuing and not just going through the motions, but being steadfast, passionate, intentional about what you do. And then they did it in four areas. And you'll notice in there, there's nothing in there about, you know, lighting or uh, the sound system or different programs or anything. It's just very simple. The Apostles' Doctrine, that's the New Testament. And then also in prayer. And, you know, it's hard to get people to really think about prayer the way that they ought to think. And it's a challenge. And I think it always has been. And uh, even the disciples, when they saw Jesus praying, they realized that their ritualistic praying didn't measure up to Jesus' personal quality time in intimate fellowship with his father. And they said, teach us to pray. And, um, you know, we've been looking in Sunday school at John 17. What a prayer. And Jesus' prayers did not have to be long, flowery, drawn-out things. But, boy, they were uh, compact and they were impactful. I mean, you talk about packing a punch in prayer. Uh, it, It was amazing what all you could do. And what all you could talk about just looking at, you know, a prayer in John 17 about Jesus. And when I think about that and read through the book of Acts as I'm doing right now in my personal time, I think about how many times in the book of Acts the church would pray and that people would pray and the things that happened as a result of that. And I want to have a more consistent and powerful prayer life. And I'm sure that as a believer, that resonates with your heart as well. And yet it's a difficult thing. It's a battle to pray. It's 
labor to pray, and yet the early church did that. Maybe that's why they turned their world upside down, and they had so few, and they had such little resources and such great impact. And here we are in the 21st century. We've got a lot of resources, a lot of money. We've got tremendous buildings and facilities and ways to communicate all over the world through the internet and television and radio and those type of things. And yet we seem to be making such a puny impact. Maybe it's because we don't continue steadfastly in prayer. And then it also talked about things like the breaking of bread. I think that's a reference to the Lord's Supper. And um, that's been a little bit of a challenge for us during this time of the pandemic. And so uh, we're going to do that in December. We're going to go ahead and have our candlelight Lord's Supper. And I would like to ask you to come to that. And we're going to have uh, prepackaged uh, the, the juice and the bread and all of that so that you don't have to be worrying about did anybody sneeze over the Lord's Supper plates or something like that. Uh, you'll be able to get your own and we'll do that together and remember the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, which I always think is highly appropriate at Christmas time because celebrating the incarnation of Jesus Christ, Jesus didn't come just so we could uh, have a holiday season and get presents and all of that. He came and was born to die. And we want to remember his body and his blood. And the early church did that regularly, you know. And then they also were uh, continuing steadfastly fastly in fellowship. And uh, that's one of the things right now where I think that in the midst of this pandemic, we're going to have to work harder to try to fellowship with other people. You know, you come into church and you set socially distance. Uh, it's just a little bit harder than it used to be to kind of fellowship and talk and catch up with people. When you're wearing masks, you feel like there's a barrier and you feel kind of isolated and that type of thing. That's not impossible. We can still call. The early church didn't have telephones, did they? We can uh, email, we can write cards and letters, uh, all kinds of things that we can do. And so uh, let's work hard at fellowship. And as a result of all of that, the, the early church just exploded. And so uh, the, no place in the Bible did it say that you've got to appeal to the people who worship Zeus or you've got to somehow figure out how to appeal to other people in different situations. Just honor God and do what you know you're supposed to do. And don't isolate and close yourself off as you do this, but think about other people who are lost. Think about people who are on their way to hell without the intervention of Christ and the gospel. And as you do these kind of things, and as you love the body of Christ and love the people of God, you have an impact on outsiders because Jesus said they'll know we're his disciples by the love we have one for another. So I say all of that just to encourage you. Don't isolate yourself. Don't just be a person who says, ah, it's just easier to watch church on TV. Uh, don't be that person. We need you, and we want you, and you matter, and you're a part of the body. And so if you are able to come to church, I encourage you to come to church. You need it, and we need it. And then in the meantime, in the other things, 
Let's pray for one another. Let's minister to one another. Let's uphold one another. Let's encourage one another. I know I always appreciate it when uh, I get a card or a note in the mail. Got one just the other day thanking me for the things that I do. Well, if it encourages me, I know that I'm a normal person and it would encourage somebody else as well. Let's just kind of do that and let's see uh, how we can build up one another and encourage one another and continue in those uh, four things for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, let's get into our message tonight. We're looking at Psalm 103. We're familiar with the first part of it. We sing about it. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits and then he lists some of those well we get on down into the psalm and we're less familiar with the rest of this psalm i tried to come up with a title i'm not really good at titles in fact sometimes i would rather just skip the titles i know when isaac preached for me when uh, i was uh, sick he mentioned that he struggles with that i do too Sometimes I come up kind of with a title that's more of a theme, uh, you know, something that I see in the text or something that I feel like would be appropriate. And then I get my points and I look and I go, well, the title doesn't match the points. Uh, Sometimes I look and I go, well, the title is just extremely obvious here and it's not clever or catchy or anything like that. Sometimes I would rather just do without it. But um, this time on this particular one, I'm going to make up for lost time because I actually have uh, (laughs) three titles. And uh, I thought about this. These particular verses we're going to look at could be entitled, We Are Not of This World. There's a difference in the way God sees us and the way God treats us as opposed to the way that he treats those who are in the world. And here's why I think that's important. Uh, We can make way too much out of us. I, I recognize that. But at the same time, I think that in this day and age, Maybe some believers, maybe even you, you've heard so much about God's love and grace and God's favor, and you've seen it in such a universal way, you don't really think of it as being a big deal. It's sort of like oxygen. Who, you know, misses oxygen until you don't have it? You know, it's, it's, it's like going into your home and flipping on a switch for electricity, and uh, you don't really notice it until your power is out or something like that. We, we just are not as thankful as we ought to be. And so I say, we're not of this world. God sees us differently, and David points out how he treats us differently, and that's a good thing. Second title I came up with is simply based on that last phrase, God treats us differently. We could look at that because we are going to talk about some things that lost people know nothing about. Now, they could, if they come to know Christ, if they enter into the kingdom of God through the gospel of Jesus, they certainly could see these things. This is not the kind of club that is, you know, so exclusive. Nobody can get in. There's a a whosoever will aspect to all of this. Jesus said, even in the book of Revelation and also in the book of Isaiah, if you're thirsty, come to me, right? My father-in-law I remember a long time ago hearing him say something that at that point I'd never heard before. 
said, uh, whoever's thirsty, let him come to me and drink freely. And uh, here this person that says, I'm not thirsty. And Jesus said, then I'm not talking to you. He's speaking to the thirsty. Do you know any thirsty people? Do you know by the grace of God, anyone who through the circumstances of life and the work of the Spirit in their heart, they're coming to the point where they're showing interest in the things of God. Always count that as a blessing. If a lost person, whether they're in your family or in your workplace, at school or anywhere else, if they show any interest, for those of us who know the truths of Scripture and sovereign grace, we ought to take that as, you know, our spiritual antennas ought to go up. God may be doing something in there because there's a reason why they are interested. So they can enter into what we're doing, but until they do, they don't know the way God treats us because he treats us differently than he does the world. Uh, another title I thought of was simply this, God is not like us. Boy, thank God for that because I can be a pretty nice person uh, 60% of the day, sometimes 70, sometimes maybe I push it up to 80 90% of the day, you know, on a good day, and you probably do too. And some people are just nicer than others. I've been around some people that just, they just kind of oozed niceness. And even when they were ticked off at somebody, nice things came out. I've always kind of been envious of some of those people, haven't you? I mean, I'm not as mean as I could be, and I'm not as mean as some people are, you know. Some of you are really difficult to deal with and so you know I can be a, a notch above that if you don't look at my heart and you don't really read my mind you know aren't we all kind of like that and you know with us wearing these masks now I was in um, oh Walmart or something the other day and I had my mask and I saw somebody and I kind of smiled at them and then I realized they can't see my smile they have no idea what I'm really like or what I'm you know trying to convey to them and I thought isn't that kind of the way we live so often we may be more angry inside than we ever project and uh, we may be happier inside than we ever project sometimes some you need to uh, if you're a happy person you need to let your face know about it and uh, smile a little bit and communicate that kind of thing and be more uh, approachable and positive and that type of thing but as I think about the way God is, you know, I kind of get to a point to where I get tired of being nice, okay? Is that a honest enough, vulnerable enough confession of sin? I'm not perfect, neither are you. And there are some times when maybe I've been around people at the church, I've been doing some counseling, and I mean, I've just had it up to here. And so I get home and then uh, Sammy says something to me, and I bite her head off. Why would that ever happen? Why in the world do we think that we have a right to treat the people we've made a covenant with and the people that are a part of our family, why do we think we have a right to treat them differently than we would treat a perfect stranger? You're much nicer to the checkout person at Walmart than you are to your own kids sometimes. 
You, you know what I'm saying? And we think we have a right to do that. This is my home. This is my castle or something. And, and here it comes. Aren't you glad God's not like that? Aren't you glad God doesn't get to the point to where he goes, okay, that's it. That's all the grace you're going to get. That's all the mercy. Boy, I'm bringing the hammer down now or I'm done with you. I mean, sometimes we get done with people. Sometimes people even say that I'm just done with them. I'm over them. I don't want anything to do with them. And uh, there are some people and uh, situations where if uh, it, it may have been 40 years ago that you uh, had this circumstance happen with that person, but after 40 years, when their name comes up, you still kind of get a dark cloud over you or maybe some anger or resentment or hurt or depression comes up. Aren't you glad God's not like that? Aren't you glad God is not marking your transgressions and holding you to those things. In fact, we saw in this psalm, he doesn't treat us like that because if he did, we couldn't stand it. And he's gracious, he's kind, he's merciful to us. He doesn't hold grudges. So we could entitle this message, God is not like us because we're going to see some things in here that really show us how different he is. Jesus said in John 17 that he had sanctified himself. He had set himself apart. Well, in this psalm, we're going to see just how set apart God is. Okay? Now, before we read that, uh, the text, I want you to think about this. When you look at the world and you look at the world around you, one of the things you're going to see is that it just doesn't make sense. In fact, just yesterday... I was uh, hearing about the uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota City Council. You remember they were one of the first ones to say we're going to defund the police. What a dumb idea. Those people ought to be voted out and uh, unemployed in terms of their politics. That is just idiotic to think that you can do something like that. Well, that was several months ago, wasn't it? You know what I heard yesterday? Crime in Minneapolis is up 40% since they did that. Can you believe it? Well, yeah, I can because people are depraved. We live in an evil world, this present evil world the Apostle Paul uh, spoke of. It's just the way it is. Now, what kind of a thinking person puts these two things together. We'll defund the police, especially in the midst of these riots and Antifa and those kind of things going on. And then everybody will be so happy about that that crime is going to go down. You know, two plus two doesn't equal five no matter how much you think it ought to or how you feel about it or how you try to explain it. And that is just one example of how the world just doesn't seem to make sense. But when you think theologically, you realize it's not really a police problem because the police can't really change the hearts of people. Now, they may make people go, well, I don't want to get involved in that or I'll get into trouble, but it doesn't change their heart, does it? Their heart is still wicked and evil and selfish and all of those kind of things. And so uh, police, punishment, laws, all of that cannot change the heart. But 
if you can get the heart right, then everything changes. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. In other words, when we get saved, God changes everything about us. We have the capability of doing right and doing it with a right motive because it comes from the Holy Spirit within us. Paul talks about uh, the law of God, and he sums it up like this in Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Now that's very simple, but it's sure not easy. In fact, it's impossible. And uh, while David tells himself at the beginning, okay, O soul, bless the Lord. He's not really commanding us to do that. He's commanding himself. Now, we may think that the subject is us blessing the Lord, but really in this psalm, the subject is the Lord and what he does and what he does in spite of us, in spite of our sin, in spite of our law-breaking, in spite of the times when we don't live up to our own promises, we don't live up to our own conscience, and we don't live up, certainly, to the uh, Word of God. And so, here's what David has to say. In verse 11 through verse 14. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his, God's mercy, toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. So how is God different than us? How is it that he treats us? How is it that we have received this divine favor that the world knows nothing about? Here they are. Number one, because he is the God who has infinite mercy. Have you ever felt like sometimes that, well, I've gone one step too far, one sin too far, that yesterday I was in the good graces of God, but today, boy, it's just all off and out. God is angry with me. God is going to punish me. And that uh, everything has changed after today. As if somehow your sin surprises an all-knowing God. As if maybe when Jesus died on the cross, one of your sins kind of slipped past him that when he said it is finished well not quite with you uh, or maybe he didn't really account for the fact that you would sin the way that you have sinned when you think about it that doesn't make any sense does it this is an all-knowing God who paid for every sin that you would ever commit the heavens are high above the earth we know that and that's how great his mercy toward us is actually is because we are the ones who fear, we honor, and we have submitted ourselves unto the Lord and unto his gospel. And so this is based on love. 
And it's based on his covenant, this idea of mercy, or some translations have it as loving kindness. It's a covenant word. This is the way God is always, always going to treat you. Nothing will ever change. In Mark 14, 23, it says, And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. And so it's this blood covenant that we celebrate at the Lord's Supper. God has made a covenant with us, a covenant of grace and mercy and loving kindness that is not based on our performance, it's based on his blood. And how big is that and how, uh, how would we measure it? Well, the Lord says here that we can't because it's as high as the heavens are above the earth. And you know, um, back in the days when this psalm was written, there was a pretty limited view of outer space and of the heavens. But you know what we found? The more we go up, the higher and further that we go, and with our telescopes like the Hubble, the more we look at, you know what we find? There are things out there, galaxies out there that we have no idea about because it just keeps going and going and going and going and going. In our minds as humans, it's limitless. Maybe David is telling us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that's the way the mercy of God is towards sinners like us. I'm glad God is not like us, and I'm glad he treats us different. He gives us immeasurable and inexhaustible love and mercy uh, for every situation, praise his name. Number two, notice that he removes our sins. I need my sin taken from me because it follows me. It stains me. It taints everything that I do. And so when 1 John 1, 9 is applied in my life, I get the benefits of the cross, the benefits of propitiation, the benefits of his death on my behalf and experience that forgiveness and experience the blessings of sin that has already been paid for. And how does it say it in verse 12? As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And again, it's another immeasurable distance. If you think about how far is the east from the west, they never meet. If you get on a globe and you start at the North Pole and you start going down, you're heading south. But when you get to the South Pole, you start heading north. North and south, they meet. But when you go east on a globe, all the way around it, you're always going east. And when you go west, you're always going west. They never meet. In other words, David is telling us that the Lord has taken our sin and he has taken our sin from us because we could never get away from it. And where does our sin go? On the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he bore our sins on the cross and God deals with our sins on the basis of the blood of Jesus Christ, removes it from us, and it is gone because Jesus paid for it in full. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In Romans chapter 4, verse 8, he quotes out of the Psalms, 
Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count or impute his sins. Your sins have been put on somebody else and they're not laid to your account anymore because of the perfect, complete, total, sufficient sacrifice of Christ. They are removed from you as far as the east is from the west. That is an amazing thing. And number three... What does God do with us? Well, the Bible tells us that he disciplines us. He corrects us. And I want you to think about this. He corrects and restores with tremendous compassion. Not anger, not bitterness, not vitriol, but with compassion. It says, as a father pities. The word pity there means has compassion, wants the best for his children, aches when his children do wrong, wants to correct what they uh, are doing so that they can be better. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. I want you to think about this. When God deals with you, is it discipline or punishment? And I want to just make it real clear. Your punishment, all of it, was put on Christ. Well, then what is he doing when he deals with me and I have to live and face the consequences of choices that I've made, things that I've done? That's discipline. What is the difference? One is done out of anger and the other one is done for your good. He's training you. He's teaching you. He's bringing you out of this. He's making you to be better and more reflective of his glory. Is it done out of anger or compassionate love? Well, obviously, he says here, it's done out of compassionate love. The Lord loves you the way you are, but he loves you so much he refuses to let you stay that way. And is it God simply venting or is it done with the purpose of correction or bettering you or benefiting you? Hebrews 12, 5 says, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Now listen to this. For the Lord disciplines, trains, corrects the ones that he loves and chastises every son that he receives. So he's doing it because he loves you, because he cares for you, because he wants you to be better, and he wants you to grow. He wants you to be sanctified. This is the work of God. And then Scripture tells us, number four, out of Psalm 103 again, that while he's doing this, he knows our limitations. God doesn't just put us in a cookie cutter thing and just expect all of us to be the same. And if he can do it, why can't you do it? God never looks at you and looks at another Christian and says, why can't you be more like them? Or why can't you be more like your big brother? Because he knows where you are. And just as you, uh, when you brought your children home, you may have a child who may grow up and they may be an Olympic gold medal winner, but you don't expect that out of them when they're six months old or two years old or ten years old even, do you? You understand where they are and you know their limitations. Guess what? The Lord knows your limitations. He knows what you know about the Word of God and He also knows what you don't know. He knows 
what you have experienced. He knows your hurts. He knows your fears. He knows things that have been done to you that have been horrible and have been evil. He knows the attacks of the enemy. He knows where you've tripped up. He knows where you've had a broken bone and it needs to heal. Or, and I'm speaking metaphorically, of course. He understands all of that. He remembers our frame that we are dust. That's a reference to Adam being created out of the dust. And it also speaks of our mortality because when we die, we're going to decompose. Ashes to ashes and dust to dust. From dust you came and to dust you shall return. God knows that. And God is not expecting you to be something that you're not able and capable of being. But he does want you to do all that you are capable of. And so he takes us and he teaches us and he is patient with us and he corrects us and he allows us to stumble and fall and go through all of the hurts and trials of life so that we learn to depend upon him, so that we learn to surrender ourselves and so that he, by his spirit and grace, he lives through us and we learn to depend upon him. For he knows our frame. That's the intimacy of God, knowing everything about you. And he remembers that we are dust. Can't treat a toddler like a teenager. And you shouldn't let a teenager act like a toddler either, right? And so as the hymn says, we are frail children of dust. R.C. Sproul called us one time children of dirt. We're limited, we're finite, we're weak. We're sinful, we're imperfect. But God doesn't just, like a negligent parent, say, oh, boys will be boys. Oh, that's just the way they are. Oh, they inherited that from their father or their grandfather. God doesn't do that. He is actively involved personally in your life, correcting you, working on you, and making you into the image of Christ, according to the book of Romans. So understand as we conclude this, that um, this is all for those who fear him. This is for those who are his children. These are for the ones, not just the ones who claim to know him. This is written about the Lord and the ones the Lord knows, that he knows intimately and personally through, those, uh, uh, through the grace of God those who have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of their lives. So we're different. We're not of this world. We are favored. Here God has saved us. He's indwelt us by His Spirit. We're a part of His kingdom. And we're under an everlasting covenant with Him. And we have a God who is a Father. Unlike the pagan gods that David would have known about who are apathetic or hostile toward their people, he is not like us, but he is certainly making us like him. I'll conclude reading out of Romans chapter 8. Let's, let this bless you. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who were called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. 
What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And that's a great place to stop and say that perfectly sums up the God that we read about in Psalm 103. The God who loves you and is actively working in your life because he's not against you. He is for you. He knows where you are. He knows all of your weaknesses, all of your mess-ups, even your stubbornness. And yet he loves you with an everlasting love and with inexhaustible mercy. Praise his holy name and rejoice in the Lord always. Or as David said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And may the Lord bless you as well. And thank you for your time. My prayer is that this feeds your soul so that you and I will be better able to glorify God together. Thank you.